Greetings one and all and welcome to our podcast. My name is Aljaš Pengobitens. I am a Slovenian journalist, blogger and podcaster based in Luxembourg. And my name is Natasha Briski, also an avid podcaster, a producer and listener. And I'm also editor-in-chief at Metaslist, independent Slovenian media network. Saying hello from Škofja uh, Loka, Slovenia. And it's really great to have you with us. If this is the first episode uh, you're listening to in our series, as human rights in the 21st century, we strongly encourage you to listen to our conversations with Hans van Bailen, President of ALDE, and Debbie Koener, Secretary General of European Network for National Human Rights Institutions, as well as Slovenian Human Rights Ombudsman Peter Svetina. Um, yes, Aljaš, this project really gives us the opportunity to speak with great guests, absolute insiders when it comes to guarding human rights, fundamental rights. And uh, um, this is the case with our guest today, Barbara Nolan. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. My name is Barbara Nolan. I am in charge of fundamental rights policy in the European Commission. Um, and I'm delighted uh, to be able to participate in this podcast. Uh, Miss Nolan, your job title says Head of Fundamental Rights Policy in the European Commission. DG Just, I think, is the um, internal abbreviation you guys use for your Director General. But what's your job description? Well, I suppose my task is to ensure that the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights which is a legally binding instrument now for more than 10 years and has the same value as the EU treaties, is uh, respected and promoted and protected uh, in the EU uh, and in its institutions. So we are, if you like, the guardian of the Charter of Fundamental Rights and its application uh, in the EU institutions and throughout the EU. Uh, Ms. Nolan... The past year, as we said in our podcast many times, with the COVID-19, it has been a special year. And um, you as a guardian, one of the guardians of fundamental rights, uh, what would you say, which areas took the hardest hits and, and how do they compare between countries? Well, indeed, um, the, the COVID crisis has created a range of challenges for our societies uh, and uh, for fundamental rights in the EU. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, all member states have taken exceptional measures to protect public health, which have uh, resulted in restrictions on several fundamental rights and freedoms. And the rights affected range from freedom of movement freedom of expression and assembly, freedom of religion, uh, to freedom to conduct a business and the right to data protection. Um, limitations of some fundamental rights are inherent uh, in the emergency measures needed to fight the, the pandemic. But uh, we have emphasized that uh, any measures taken should be proportionate, should be time limited, Uh, and should, you know, not be uh, not be envisaged as a long-term uh, solution without an end date. And I think it's also important to say that, you know, while COVID-19 has affected all of us, certain individuals and groups have are particularly vulnerable uh, during the pandemic, uh, because, including because of their overall health situation or indeed their socioeconomic situation. And that includes, I think, older people, Roma, asylum seekers, and those with disabilities, just to name a few. 
Um, children, too, have suffered a lot because they haven't been able to, to go to school in the normal way. Uh, and poorer children who don't have access, for example, to uh, to uh, Internet uh, and, la and, and um, laptops, etc., have, have also suffered a lot. So vulnerable groups have been impacted in particular. And uh, we see that the crisis has, has, has sort of exacerbated inequalities in our society. Um, you know, as I said, due to st stigma and stereotypes, people from minority backgrounds, uh, I mentioned the Roma already, but also Muslim Jews, people of African descent have, have, descent have also found uh, that they have been targeted by, for example, online uh, media, uh, blaming them on creating the COVID crisis. And Europeans of Asian origin, for example, have encountered a lot of racial abuse and attacks. So, you know, we've had to also, we, we, we try to protect people from this kind of scapegoating and xenophobia, and we, we must condemn and sanction these racist acts. But as I said, we are monitoring um, these emergency measures because, as I said, they should be strictly limited to what's necessary proportionate and limited in time. And we have been proactively monitoring the emergency measures taken in all member states and their impact, uh, in particular on the rule of law, uh, on fundamental rights and on EU law. And I mean, of course, some of the areas where measures have been taken are not EU uh, European Union competences. For example, member states are responsible for areas of health care um, uh, this is their own uh, responsibility. Same with, for example, closure of place, places of religious worship, prohibitions of public galleries. So in such cases, the Charter of Fundamental Rights is not legally binding because the Charter only applies uh, to member states when they are implementing European Union law. So it's important to remember that we are in a situation of uh, a limited competence in some of these fields. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have, as I said, we're monitoring this situation and we will continue to monitor it until all emergency measures are revoked. Um, I don't want to get into a situation of naming and shaming certain member states. I mean, as I said, all member states have taken measures that do impact upon people's fundamental rights. Um, in particular, you know, a particular one would be freedom of movement. Um, but uh, we want to see once this pandemic is over that all the emergency measures are revoked and we return to a normal situation with regard to uh, people exercising uh, their fundamental rights. You mentioned Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union, which is which brings together the most important personal freedoms and rights enjoyed by citizens of the EU into that legally binding document. Now, the Charter was declared in 2000 and came into force in, in uh, 2009, along with the Treaty of Lisbon. Now, at the end of last year, the Commission presented a new strategy to strengthen the application of uh, the Charter of Fundamental Rights in the EU. Now, walk us through what are the focuses of this strategy and what is that needed strengthening? 
Well, just to say that we this is our second, if you like, charter strategy. We had one back in uh, 2010, which basically focused on uh, the application of the charter by the European Union. So it looked particularly at what, for example, the Commission and other European institutions could do to make sure that the EU institutions were beyond reproach when it came to uh, applying the charter and that you know we were if you like the model for applying um the rights that were uh, contained in the charter in this new strategy we want to put the focus on strengthening the application of the charter in the member states we want to go back uh, to the grassroots level to make sure that people are aware of their rights we want to strengthen our partnership with national and local authorities and support them to comply with the Charter when they're implementing EU law. And this now covers also the implementation of EU funds, which is a very important new development, because at the start of this new uh, EU financial period, um, there will be huge amounts of funding going to member states. And now they must uh, uh, take measures to ensure that they comply with the Charter of Fundamental Rights when they are spending this money. So they should not be spending the money on actions that do not comply with the Charter of Fundamental Rights. So this is one area where, which is a new uh, focus of uh, the new strategy. Uh, we also want to support civil society organizations and what we call rights defenders. So by that, I mean national human rights institutions, equality bodies, ombuds, ombuds persons, uh, who are key players in promoting and protecting the rights enshrined in the Charter. These organisations are our eyes and ears on the ground uh, and often victims of fundamental rights violations turn to these bodies in the first instance for help with situations where they feel that their rights um, have been uh, violated. Um, so we will be providing uh, new opportunities to support these bodies and other civil society organizations and rights defenders uh, to help them strengthen their capacity so that they can further help people, for example, helping them uh, put together cases uh, to, to take cases to defend their rights. We're also going to provide more opportunities for charter training for judges. Um, judges are key to making the Charter effective in people's lives, and they need to know about the Charter. I mean, we do a lot of training already, but we need to step up this because we know that in some member states, judges are not really aware of what the Charter is about. And finally, we want people to know about, we're going to launch an information campaign to uh, so that people know about their rights and who to turn to when they're in difficulty. And this will be an EU-wide information campaign also uh, making this information accessible to people with disabilities, for example. I mean, if you take the, the example of the United States and their Bill of Rights, every school child in, in the United States learns what the Bill of Rights is about. They, this is part of, you know, the DNA, if you like, of growing up in the United States. We would like to see a situation where, you know, people learn, young people, children learn about the Charter of Fundamental Rights and certainly have an idea about what, what rights they have as a European citizen, uh, what, the, what the protections they have to their rights as a result of the Charter of Fundamental Rights. 
This is a big ambition because we're very far away from it right now. But we have to remember that the Charter is a relatively young uh, instrument and, you know, we are working on getting it better known so that it's better used, more used, and people realise that they do have, you know, a body of rights at European, uh, that guaranteed by the EU, that they can call upon when their rights are infringed. Uh, Ms. Nolan, I'm uh, encouraged by your uh, approach of, of uh, starting with the young. The ed- education is is uh, very, uh, very important. We, we see it in Natasha and I see that, you know, other, other projects such as uh, media literacy or active citizenship, etc. So this is all fine and well. But what we also are seeing uh, throughout uh, many EU member states is this creeping uh, intention of uh, anti-pandemic measures being extended or at least attempted to be extended beyond the actual pandemic. So uh, is this something you see as an inherent danger going forward and something to deal with? Well, as I said, you know, we are not going to stop surveying this until uh, all these measures are removed. And we are still in the pandemic. So, you know, we cannot at the moment insist on Uh, certain restrictions being lifted because, you know, the pandemic is still rife in the member states and it needs to be tackled uh, in in the first instance. But once the pandemic is over, we will, uh, we expect to see uh, all of the restrictions that have been imposed as a result of the pandemic being lifted. Um, And you're absolutely right. I mean, we must, you know, we must be vigilant And we must uh, continue. And I mean, the Commission is vigilant, um, which leads me possibly to another point, which is that, you know, we are taking action on uh, on other areas not linked to the pandemic, like uh, protection of the rule of law. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are, you know, the Commission has in its powers to take infringements, uh, which is legal cases against member states who are breaching uh, uh, EU law and breaching uh, the the rule of law. And we do this, we continue our work in that regard. But with regard, I think, to the pandemic, we must, as I said, we have urged member states to make sure that they're proportionate, time limited um, and strictly necessary, the measures. And of course, we want to see when the pandemic is over that all of these restrictions are um, uh, taken away uh, once the pandemic is over. I guess it's a balancing act. Uh, after all, in, I mean, even this, the internal structure of the uh, European Union, the, I mean, the Commission is not the overall arching body which could actually instruct member states on every level, as you, as you so eloquently put it uh, earlier. So... Um, uh, you've already mentioned that you the the area of uh, rule of law and uh, proper sp- spending of of, of um, funds uh, related to to the pandemic post pandemic recovery is something that you uh, will be dealing with anew. Uh, what uh, resources do you have uh, to? do that effectively? Well, look, the EU is founded, you know, on uh, the treaties, the charter, you know, we are, it's a legal entity. Um, And basically, when we find that member states are in breach of their, uh, their commitments under EU law, we take, you know, action. And you are right that, you know, there are constant challenges 
to uh, both fundamental rights and the rule of law across member states. And this is where, you know, our work continues to ensure, you know, as guardians of the treaty, um, that we continue to take action where necessary and, you know, challenge member states and take them to court if they are in breach of their commitments under EU law. I mean, you know, we uh, we see, for example, um, uh, laws that limit people's rights and make the work of civil society organisations and rights defenders sometimes even impossible. Um, we see an information gap uh, that too few Europeans know and understand their rights. Um, you know, we see also that new developments like the digital transformation uh, brings new opportunities in terms of uh, people exercising their rights more effectively, but they also bring challenges when it comes to protecting fundamental rights. Um, so, as I said, on our radar at the moment, uh, and issues that we tackle uh, by way of infringements are, you know, challenges to the rule of law in some member states, attempts to silence uh, free media and freedom of expression, um, uh, and, you know, the issues regarding the safety of journalists. Um, I mean, the Commission is currently preparing a recommendation on the safety of journalists. Um, so, you know, these are, these are issues that are not necessarily linked to the pandem pandemic, uh, but they are, if you like, threats to uh, fundamental rights uh, or the rule of law in uh, member states, which we, which we are very much on our radar and which we tackle uh, uh, as appropriate uh, under EU law. You said we must be vigilant, and I couldn't agree more. The protection of fundamental rights cannot be taken for granted. Uh, the populism has gained so much uh, ground, both globally and in Europe, uh, which we write about uh, in the project uh, Human Rights in the 21st Century. You mentioned a bit the media. Uh, what are, in your view, other main challenges in protecting uh, fundamental rights? Well, I mean, uh, I was just giving some illustrations. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, one, mm -hmm. one, uh, as I said, artificial, for example, we are preparing new art, uh, legislation to govern artificial intelligence, uh, which will have a strong fundamental rights component. For example, uh, the use of algorithms in artificial intelligence can sometimes lead to very discriminatory outcomes. Uh, we have seen algorithms, for example, that uh, in recruitment that, for example, uh, don't uh, manage to discriminate against women of childbearing age, for example, uh, or discriminate against people coming from a certain area with a certain postal address. Um, and all of these things are kind of hidden at the moment. So the idea is that when this legislation is, is, is adopted, that we will have protections and that these opaque algorithms that can lead to very discriminatory outcomes will have to be documented. So that, for example, if somebody feels they're a victim of discrimination and that, for example, no women were called to interview uh, in relation to a particular post, they can, that, that the, 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 the provider of this algorithm will have to have documented how the algorithm works so that a judge, for example, will be able to understand how it was applied. 
Um, there is no, it's the law of the jungle at the moment. There, is, there are no real rules about this. So this is why we need, for example, to be vigilant and bring in a human rights dimension into a fundamental rights dimension into new developments in the area of the digital uh, transition, uh, including, for example, artificial intelligence uh, or the Digital Services Act, um, where, you know, maybe fundamental rights isn't the first thing people think about, but they're extremely important in this context. Ms. Barbara Nolan, um, thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, for all the effort that you've put uh, in your work so far. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. It was great listening to you.